We come to the next in our series. Um, as we're going through this is what we believe. Just to remind you, for those who um, need reminding, recap for those who perhaps haven't been a, a part of this, um, we're looking at over these seven Sundays at a summary of the Evangelical Lifestyle of Faith that's summarised uh, in CARE, Christian Action Research and Education's publication, in seven themes, which are, and that's just a bit of history about our we are members of the evangelical alliance that's where you can find the statement of faith that 11 statements these seven are creation fall revelation kingdom salvation mission and social action new creation and today we are halfway through this is kingdom today so we've done creation how god created all things we've done the fall how things fell apart and how our own decisions and choices in that uh, have caused, caused the fall and we looked last week at the revelation how God revealed himself through the pages of the Old Testament, through the law and the prophets, and just challenged us how we view the Old Testament, how we see the Old Testament, how we engage with the Old Testament. So that was last Sunday. And today we're looking at uh, the, the next part of that, which is uh, kingdom. Why is it important for us to do this? Because it shapes our church leadership, it shapes our ministry, it shapes what we do as a church. As I said before, it shapes who we appoint as pastors and ministers and leaders in our church. Um, so it's important that we know what we believe. And there's that encouragement to always be ready to give an answer to those who ask us for the hope that we have. When they ask us what we believe, what do we say? If we don't know, it's hard to answer that question, isn't it? So that's what we're about. So creation, fall, revelation, kingdom. Next week, salvation, mission, social action, new creation. So kingdom, <clears throat> all too often when we think about Jesus, we think about two things. We think about Christmas and we think about Easter. <laughs> um, and that, if you talk to the world, that's what they think of, of Jesus. It's like, well, yeah, Christmas and Easter, they're the two things, aren't they? And actually, they are the two, probably the most significant things in his life, his birth and incarnation when he came into the world and his death and resurrection as we celebrate it through the Christmas, uh, through the Easter season. But what about the rest of his 33 years? What about all, all of that? And that's the focus of this morning. What happens in the rest of that time? Next Sunday we'll be coming to think about uh, Easter and the salvation. This week it's much more about the rest of his life. This is what um, the care, how care package this in terms of their statement. They say... In time, God sent his son, Jesus Christ. That's Christmas. <laughs> he proclaimed that the kingdom of God had come near. He brought the restoration of all that was good. Disease was undone. Demons were driven out. And freedom and forgiveness were preached to all. And he sent his disciples to do the same. He himself modeled the perfect life. That's why we are here this morning. Because of what Jesus has done for us. And yes... He died on the cross, and yes, he came in order to die, but he also lived. And if we're not careful, we miss that. We miss this part of the story. And it is significant for us to reflect on that and to understand what that looks like. And we're going to do that together this morning. We're going to start where we finished last Sunday. I would ask those of you who were here last Sunday where we finished last Sunday, but I won't do that because that puts you on the spot. But you all remember where we finished last Sunday, don't you, those of you who are here? We finished it in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through to 4. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times 
and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. This reading from Hebrews reminds us that while in the past, and as we saw last week, God spoke through the prophets, and he spoke through the law, and he spoke through the Old Testament and the wisdom, now he has spoken through his Son. And the Old Testament points forward to the coming of the Messiah. We read it through, it's, in, it's ingrained and interwoven into the pages of the Old Testament, the one that is coming. There's a foretelling of one who is going to come, there's the deliverer, the one who will save his people from their sins, the one who is coming to show us how to live our life, who is the fulfillment of the law. He became the last and final sacrifice. We've just celebrated that together. He opened a way for us to access God. We've talked about that already this morning. He lived a sinless, holy life. He showed us how we can embody the law and live out the law in a way which honors God. And in the New Testament, in a stable in Bethlehem, the Savior of the world, the promised Messiah, was born. And yes, it's true to say that he was born to die, but he was also born to live. And this morning we want to focus in on some of that and what that means for us today. As Jesus started his earthly ministry, he said these words. He was in a place in Nazareth, and uh, this is what we find in Luke chapter 4. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to, preach, uh, to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. We were reminded last Sunday how the Israelites were a chosen people, a holy nation. They were a, a nation that God blessed in order that they would be a blessing to the nations. And as they failed to fulfill that mandate, God then brings through Jesus this new creation, this new being, this new people called the church. But what is the blessing that he gave to those people of Israel? What is the blessing he's given to us? What is the blessing he gave his church to give? What is the blessing that we are then to pass on? Well, here it is. The words of Isaiah 61. And in reading these words out, notice that he, Jesus didn't pick these words. They were handed to him in the scroll. They were handed to him and he read them out and he said, Today these words have been fulfilled. This is our message as well. 
This is the message that he's entrusted to us too. This is what it means for us to be a blessing to our community, to our nation, and to the nations. To proclaim good news to the poor. To proclaim freedom for the prisoners. To recover your sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Good news. That's the gospel. That's what the gospel means. Good news. We have good news, folks. Do we believe it? Some days we do. <laughs> Some days we're less convinced. We have good news. God has given us this blessing, which is good news. And it's for the poor. Now, this isn't Jesus ignoring the wealthy. This is not, this is not what this, is, uh, this text is all about. There's a sense in which you know, Jesus elsewhere says, you know, unless we become spiritually poor, we don't receive the inheritance. We don't receive the blessing. You know, we recognize as those who have received what God has given to us. The moment we accept that we need it, <laughs> we acknowledge we are poor. We acknowledge nothing that we have can bring about salvation. Nothing we can bring about earns us uh, you know, a relationship with God. Even the best that we have, even the, the, the most beautiful stuff that we have is as nothing before God. It cannot earn us a relationship with him. We have to be those who recognize our poverty before God in order to receive good news. And one of the challenges around that in our world, and, and for some of us over the years, has been pride. We don't like to admit that we're poor. We don't like to admit that we need it. We don't like to think we can cope. We think we can do it on our own. That isn't true. Until we get to that place where we are humble enough to go, we are poor before God. We cannot receive this message. But this is... This message is for all people. Whether they hear it or not, that's not us. We're called to proclaim this message to those in our communities. The, t the truth must be told. The message must be proclaimed. The good news must be shared. We're called to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. This isn't talking to the, to the authorities to throw the gates of our prisons open. This is about recognizing those who are trapped in unhelpful patterns of thinking and behavior and lifestyle, those who are enslaved and ensnared in our world. We know about the addiction and those who are caught up in addictions and how those addictions could be so, uh, so oppressive. But what about false patterns of thinking? The Freedom in Christ course teaches us into that, doesn't it? But how we rethink things, how we think things the way that God wants us to think. But old patterns of thought are so debilitating, oppressive. They keep us trapped. We live in a world, don't we, where false thinking and false ways of thinking keep people oppressed, keep people tra trapped. We have a message which brings freedom. We need, to, we need to tell it. We need to share it. Recovery of sight for the blind. Now, while Jesus did restore the sight of many people when he healed them, that isn't the message here that he came to proclaim. That is a prophetic act. Again, if you've been reading Nicky Gumbel's stuff, only yesterday or the day before, if you're up to date, um, that, that's what he was talking about. Sight for the blind. That we can see the message. We can see clearly. We can see the truth. 
the prophetic element, act that Jesus did of healing people to bring them physical sight was to say that actually they're behind that. There was something else that was going on. When he healed blind Bartimaeus, it was, it was about salvation. You have been saved. And to demonstrate that, you will be able to see. That was the essence of the healing. But let's not think that just because we have accepted Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, and just because we're Christians, that our sight is suddenly perfect. We don't have 20-20 vision as Christians. We like to think sometimes that we do, that we're not spiritually blind, but actually for a lot of Christians, we're partially sighted. We have our blind spots. We have things that we don't see in us. And we need to continue to come back to God to say, continue to open my eyes that I can see the truth. Reveal in me what I need to see. We like those, that, that, those, that man who, who kind of partially had his eyesight partially remo- uh, re- re- restored. And Jesus had to sort of say, I sort of see people like things like trees. And Jesus had to heal him again. And we kind of, sometimes as Christians we're like that, aren't we? we? We get kind of partial sight. We see the truth and we recognize that we're poor and we, we accept Jesus, but actually we don't see ourselves and don't see our flaws and our Achilles heels and the bits that we're, where we're kind of open. We need to ask that God will continue to teach us, continue to restore our sight. And that's for us, but also we've got a message for those in our world to share. To set the oppressed free. We live in a world of oppression. People are oppressed by circumstances, expectations, demands, patterns of behavior. All that stuff just oppresses and keeps us on the treadmill. And it feels like we're kind of constantly fighting. I talked a bit earlier about the oppression that there is over this community. This is the reality, folks. But we have a message which sets those who are oppressed free. It was the message that God gave to his people, Israel. And in Jesus, it was fulfilled. But Jesus has now passed that message on to us to say, this is the message that has to be proclaimed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus not only taught it, he embodied it and he lived it. You go on a few pages in Luke's Gospel and you come to these words in Luke chapter 9. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Those five things in Luke chapter 4, that's the kingdom of God. That's the message that he sent them out to preach and to proclaim. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Jesus wasn't a one-man band. He never intended to be the one uh, that was the only one to tell this message. It was never his intention to be the only person 
to have, that was, had this message in trust. And so he, he brought these people alongside him, these disciples. He nurtured them and trained them and, and worked with them and, and shared with them, life with them. He spent three years nurturing them because he knew that one day he was going and they were going to be the ones that were going to carry this blessing, this teaching on and be responsible for proclaiming this message. And so they proclaimed those same truths. They proclaimed the kingdom of God. This is what the kingdom of God means, those five statements in Luke chapter 4. That's what the kingdom of God is. And he did it in word and deed. Did you notice that? They proclaimed the good news and they healed people everywhere. Guess what, folks? Those people who had that baton passed them by Jesus are dead. But we're not. The baton is now in our hands. We are the ones who are now entrusted with this message. We are called by God, sent by God to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Is that what we're doing? <laughs> is, that the, is that what we're about as a church? Because that's our mandate. That's what we're called to do. We are those now who are entrusted with this message. We are the ones who have to go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And that doesn't mean that you pay me to go and do it for you, <laughs> by the way. Okay? That's not how it works. We, together, collectively, have this message. What does it mean for you to be part of this message and proclaiming this kingdom? How do you proclaim those five things to the people that you work with, you live with, your family, your friends, your neighbours? What does it mean for you to proclaim to them good news to the poor, freedom for the prisoner, recovery of sight for the blind, set the oppressed free, and the, the year of the Lord's favour? What does it mean for you to be the one that shares that message of the kingdom of God with those that you live with? And we do so in words and deed you know that's the, the final part of this isn't it because Jesus embodies everything he didn't just tell us he didn't just say this is what you meant to do folks he lived it Jesus shows that when you live and obey the law you can still have the most fulfilled life We have this lie, unfortunately, as Christians, that somehow, by doing what God says, we're, not, we're missing out. <laughs> There's certain things that actually the world says, these are really good to do this stuff. And if you don't do it, you're missing out. Maybe it is time to call some of that stuff out. We talked a few weeks ago about the place of sex in marriage. The world would say, no, 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 no. That's not, that's not where sex belongs. Just enjoy it. God's made us sexual beings. What does it mean for sex to stay within the context of a marriage between a man and a woman? Because that's where God created it to be. The world would say, oh, you're missing out. Is that right? Jesus never had a relationship with a woman. 
And yet he was the most fulfilled person ever to walk this earth. Did he suffer because he didn't have a relationship with a woman? He wasn't married? Was somehow his life less than full? He didn't have loads of money. He didn't have a Facebook that was full of friends. <laughs> he was rejected. He was despised. He had nowhere that he could call his own, no place to lay his head. But he was the most fulfilled human being that has ever walked this planet. And he lived a sinless life. This is what Pilate says. Wanted to release Pilate, appealed to them. Again, they kept shouting, crucify him. For the third time he said, why? What crime has this man committed? I found no grounds in for the death penalty. Therefore, I'll have him punished and then release him. I can't see anything. There's nothing in him. The centurion a little bit later saw and said, this man is a righteous man. He was somebody the leaders of the day just could not pin anything on. There was nothing they had on him. All trumped up charges. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He had no sin. And then to go to Hebrews, we find these words. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. thing is with Jesus we find somebody who walked this planet who lived on this earth who obeyed the law as it was given to Moses and in the Old Testament he did everything that was asked of him now be careful in that he didn't obey the, 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 the letter of the law he obeyed the spirit of the law so if you look at the New Testament there are times where he did things which the Pharisees said you're breaking the law to do with the Sabbath or whatever it might be and he goes no I didn't <laughs> the Sabbath was given for man not man for the Sabbath he obeyed everything that God set out, did everything, and he was the most fulfilled human being ever. Now in our lives, there are times where it gets really difficult, isn't there? Do we trust God for finances? Do we? Well, we say we do, but do we? What's a lottery? You buy a lottery ticket, what's that? Is that trusting God? It's actually gambling. You pay money hoping that maybe your, your ticket will come in and you'll get some money. Bingo. Sorry, folks. Those of you who love bingo, it's a, actually a gambling. <coughs> Um, now we play bingo with our golden years we don't charge them any money but if you, start, if you start paying money to get money back that's gambling you buy, you know, you bet you put money down in order to get money back that's gambling when you put something down in order to get something back that's gambling that's not trusting God with your finances that's not saying to God okay God when you send off your lottery tickets I don't know where yet, you know, and I've been to some houses in our community to support some people, and they're just full, full of kind of, you know, the latest lottery tickets that these charities send them to, send to them. 
and they fill them in and send them off. That's all gambling. Buy a ticket, pay a pound, get a ticket, hope to get a prize. It's gambling. Now it's the thin end of the wedge. It's not like the, the, you know spending millions of pounds on, on, on betting. I get that, but it's the thin end of the wedge. Just be aware, folks. And I said, I'm sorry because I know some of you do that stuff. But I'm calling it out. And kind of calling it for what it is. And I'm not having to go at anyone in particular. You know who you are, and I know who you are. I'm not looking at but it's gambling. Let's call it how it is. And it's not trusting God. What does it mean for us to, to put God first in everything? And we all have those things, don't we? We all have those areas in our lives where we don't fully trust God. We say we do, but actually, when it comes to it, when the rubber hits the road, we're not actually there. And stuff happens in our lives, and we have some tough times. But Jesus was despised by his friends. He was rejected by his friends. His friends turned on him and ran away from him. People that he thought he could trust betrayed him. They denied him. And yet he lived the most fulfilled life ever. I don't want to minimise any of the stuff that we go through as human beings. You know, some, some of us have been through some horrific stuff. And the way we've been treated has been really harsh and not fair, and not right, and it breaks God's heart that we've been through that stuff. What I just want to flag is that Jesus went through that as well, and yet he still lived a fulfilled life. What does it mean for us to come to a place where that stuff doesn't define who we are? It doesn't shape who we are now because we are free in Christ. We're free to be who he made us to be. We can be and can live fulfilled, happy lives Jesus is our model he shows that when we do what the Bible says we don't miss out we actually thrive Jesus' life speaks to us he has this message that he had, this message of the kingdom. He was given those five statements from Luke 4. Now that message has been given to us. We are those who are now entrusted with that message to go take it. And as we look at the life of Jesus, we see someone who lived perfectly. Who modelled himself on, the light, on, on God's law, who lived God's law. Who shows us that it is possible to be tempted in every way that we are and not sin. It is possible now we know, humanly speaking, none of us are ever going to do that because we're broken human beings. But let's not use that as an excuse for not to try, not to let him allow him to shape us, not to allow him to help us. Let's not use it as an excuse, oh, I'm never going to do it. I'm never going to amount to much. I'm never going to do this, that, that. So therefore I won't even bother. No. It is possible to be tempted in every way and not sin. That's what we're aiming for. That's what we aim for. Let's not aim down here. Let's aim up here. Let's aim for what God wants of us. What God sees of us. 
Next week, we're going to come to look at the story of the cross. But for now, though, let's just reflect on the life of Jesus, how he lived, how he modeled for us what it is to obey God. And the message that he came to proclaim, the message that he has given you and me to proclaim. And it doesn't mean standing at the front and talking about it. But in our lives, in our relationships, in our conversations, this is the message that we have to pass on. We have now been entrusted with that same message, the message of the kingdom of God. Let's pray.